0: treasure, and jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 1 Samuel
1: 3, 1 through 21. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said,
0: here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears.
1: Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or by offering forever. And Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli.
0: But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, What is it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Thank you, Ciprianos. That was really beautiful. Really appreciate it. Let's pray. Father God... We thank you for your holy word that we have the freedom to keep and read so easily and the responsibility to delve into and to study deeply. We thank you for your spirit by which you speak to us even still today. Thank you for indwelling us, freeing us from sin, and sanctifying us by your power. And thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, who came for us, died for us, and lives for us today. May my preaching and our collective hearing today be honoring to him and to your glory, amen. Amen. Who can remember some time when their mommy and daddy sent them to the store with money to buy something for the family? How did it feel to go off with a lot of money, like maybe a 1,000 yen, (laughs) and knowing you can't lose it because you've got a mission to accomplish? So that's kind of how Shafi felt when he was sent off on a mission to make some purchases in order to help flood victims in Pakistan. So Shafi, you can see him here, worked for my dad, uh, who was a missionary in Pakistan. Now Shafi had only been to school to the third grade, so he really couldn't read, and he was really just a very ordinary guy. But he could go some places that we weren't allowed to go, and he knew how to drive a truck, which was a pretty key skill. And so, when some devastating floods hit a part of Pakistan that we didn't have access to, my dad gave him a bunch of money and said, go to the food store, buy food, load up the truck, and then go in there and distribute it to the people who who are in need, who lost all their their houses in the flood. But on the way to the food store, Shafi was stopped by some police. And these police were actually bad guys. And the police said, so they stopped him, they searched his truck, and they found all the money. And they said... Who gave you permission to do this? What they wanted, though, of course, was for Shuffy just to pay them off so they'd let him go and let him keep the truck. But Shuffy said to them, permission? God has told me to help people in distress. I don't need some man's permission to to do what God has said is right. And the police were ashamed by his answer. And because of what he said, and so they just let him go. And they went and bought the money for the flood victims, or bought, bought the food for the, the flood victims. You might wonder, what does Shuffy got to do with Samuel and the call of God in, that we heard in the passage today? I'll get there. Our story today from 1 Samuel is part of our series, Ordinary People, Gospel Power. Our theme verse for this series, which was read to us, is from 2 Corinthians 4-7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, and it, we are the jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The story of Samuel's call when he was a young boy shows us, as does all of First and 2 Samuel, that God is faithful to reveal himself to his kids, both young and old. And I want to show you from the story three things today, that God speaks, he calls us to respond, and we are spoken to in order to speak. So our first point is very simple. God speaks. And this is mostly what I want to focus on today. God, not Samuel, is the hero of the story. And we're gathered here on a church, in, in church on a Sunday, so it's a pretty safe assumption that most of you believe God speaks, or at least that he spoke at some time. But speaking from experience, I know that even the most ardent Christian can at times wonder, does God speak? And would he speak to me? And would he speak to me today? Perhaps you've never heard from him or never felt his spirit in his word. And you're frankly quite skeptical of the existence of a God who speaks or might have anything to say to you. So if you're doubtful or dubious or just sitting here out of a sense of duty, I'm really glad you've come because I believe in a God who is there and who is not silent. And I want to share some of his words for you today. If after this service you have questions about how God might be moving in your life or desire to have a relationship with him and want to know more about his son Jesus Christ and how to do that, please grab me or Grant or any of the people with welcome badges. We would love to sit and talk to you about that. Please don't leave here with questions unanswered. If you doubt God speaks or feel like you just haven't heard from him in a long time, you're in good stead with this passage. Verse 1 opens by telling us, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So this demands some background. How did we get to this part of the story where a boy called Samuel is working in the tabernacle, ministering under Eli, and the word of God is rare. So last week, where were we? Who can remember? Geography, kids, anybody? So we were in Egypt, and we were with two characters, Shipra and Pua. And what was going on? The Israelites were being enslaved right, by the Egyptians. And after being led out by mighty miracles, the ten plagues, and crossing the Red Sea, what do the Israelites do? Who, well, first, who leads them out of, of Egypt? Moses. Moses. And he leads them into, did Moses, where does Moses lead the Israelites? Israel. Well, he doesn't quite get there, because they go first to the wilderness, and they wander for 40 years because of their sins. Then, after Moses dies, Joshua is empowered by God to lead the people out of the wilderness and into the promised land to occupy it. And while they had made the tabernacle in the wilderness, they bring it into the promised land and establish it at this place called Shiloh, which we heard about today. And Shiloh was in Ephraim, just a little bit north of of where Jerusalem was. And so while Joshua lived, and then the leaders he had led still lived, the people feared God. But then all of that generation died, and then the people fell away from God and began to worship idols, and then their enemies, The Philistines were allowed to triumph over them and enslave them. Then the people would turn back to God. He would give them a a judge like Samson or Deborah or Gideon. And they would deliver them from the Philistines and point the people back to God. But this cycle of sin, suffering, repentance, and then restoration continued for almost 300 years. And then we come to Samuel. And Samuel, like all of us, doesn't start with Samuel. It starts with his parents, with his mother, Hannah, and his father, Elkanah. God's kindness to them for their faithfulness is to give Hannah a son, who she names Samuel, and dedicates to the temple at, tabernacle, at the tabernacle in Shiloh for him to serve under the leadership of the priest Eli. So it's in this context that we're told there is no frequent vision, and the word of the Lord is rare. And just one reason the word of the Lord might be rare is because there's a big problem at the tabernacle. Eli is in charge, yes. But it's really his two sons who are running the show. And the last time God spoke in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, he was telling Eli, you need to address your boys and get them in line because they are running amok. They were abusing their power as priests to enrich themselves. And so we see sin and moral failure at the very heart of where there's supposed to be worship amongst the Israelites. And it's into this context, a people who know of God, but whose hearts are far from him, and who even then are being led further astray by Hophni and Phinehas, these two uh, priests. It's into this that God speaks. And I want to show you how he speaks, why he speaks, and then discuss how he speaks today. So how does God speak? Verses 6 through 7 read, and the Lord called again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli. Here I am, for you called. He said, no, I did not call. My son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him." What we see here is God speaking in person as an actual presence, perhaps from the tabernacle, a voice in the night calling Samuel by name. God has spoken in such a way and in similar direction, directness many places in the Bible, sometimes in dreams and visions, sometimes in a direct waking encounter. We can think of God speaking to Moses. How did God speak to Moses first? From a burning bush. We can think of how he spoke to Abraham directly, or to Gideon through the sign of the fleece. Perhaps my favorite story of God speaking in the Old Testament is in 1 Kings, where God appears to Elijah the prophet at Horeb. First there comes a great wind, but God is not in the wind. Then there's an earthquake. God's not in the earthquake. And then fire. God's not in the fire. It's in the gentle blowing that follows, where God speaks to Elijah to encourage him, to recommission him, and to send him on, out again on mission. When God calls to Samuel, why doesn't he recognize the Lord? It's because, the pastor tells us, he doesn't yet know God. And he doesn't recognize his voice. And I think oftentimes we can find ourselves in that same place, that if God were to speak to us, would we know to recognize it? And the Bible shows that God speaks by many means, And we can learn to recognize his voice from three things this passage teaches us about how God speaks to Samuel. First, he speaks in accordance with his revealed word. It is impossible for God to lie, and it is impossible for God to contradict himself. In our passage here, we see in verses 11 through 14, we see that God is speaking in fulfillment both of the judgments that he has explained in Deuteronomy, the judgments for sin, and also in fulfillment of the word he sent by the prophet to Eli in chapter 2. The message he gives to Samuel for Eli is fully in accordance with the word of God already revealed to Eli. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 tells us, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So just as we use scripture to interpret scripture, we weigh any word from God, whether it's from a prophet, a dream, or a vision, or a a preacher, against the word of God. We might ask, but what's with this sin that we see in the passage for, for which there is no atonement? That seems like a contradiction, right? Doesn't God provide atonement for everything? And so I would point you to where Jesus describes blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And I think this is exactly like that, in that while Jesus Christ did indeed make a way for, all, for atonement for any sin, if we do not turn in repentance, then there is no atonement for the sin. And that judgment was made full in Eli. The second point I want to make about how God speaks is that he speaks in accordance with his character. As in the passage, here we have verses 11 through 14 again, he is speaking to condemn sin, never to condone it. So when someone tells you they have a word from God, but they are exhorting something you know the Bible condemns as sin, you know they are speaking falsely because the word of God is true. He's told, here Samuel's told, a hard message. And it is hard. He's told that God is going to fulfill a devastating judgment against Eli's sons and Hophni and Phinehas. But what we see here is God's justice on full display. We would do well to take heed that God is just and he is true. The third thing I want to make point I want to make about how God speaks is that God always speaks faithfully. When he speaks, he is faithful to his promises, he's faithful to his people, and he's faithful to his covenant with us. We see in God's word to Samuel an act of supreme kindness and faithfulness for even as Eli's sons have led Israel astray, God in his faithfulness is raising up a new leader, Samuel, as was prophesied in chapter 2. 1 Samuel 2.35 tells us that God is prophesying this new priest will come to replace Eli, and it will be Samuel. He says, I'll raise up a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. This new leader, though just at this point, a boy serving in the temple here, will become a prophet through whom God will usher in a new era for his people and turn the hearts of the Israelites back to God and eventually usher in the kingdom of David. So here with Samuel, when we ask how God might speak to us, regardless of the means by which he would speak, we know that God will speak in accordance with his word, he will speak in accordance with his character, and he always speaks faithfully. Now, how God speaks to us has a lot to do with why he speaks to us. And God speaks, first and foremost, because of who he is. As a personal, loving, holy, awesome, and creating God, it is his nature to speak to his creatures, whom he made in his image, you and me. He speaks out of his very essence. He's a God both infinite and personal, all-powerful and all-sufficient, but also all-loving, and in that love, desiring relationship with us. And that's why God speaks as a heavenly father to Samuel, calling him by name from the tabernacle gently and repetitively. Once when I was quite young, probably around Samuel's age hearing this story, I was fast asleep in my bed. My daddy came and woke me up. Ethan, Ethan, wake up. It was really, really late. But I knew my daddy, so I wasn't afraid. What do you think your daddy might make you, wake you up for in the middle of the night? Maybe because there's a tsunami coming, and you live down in Chitan, and you need to go to higher ground? Yeah, that that happened. (laughs) Any other reasons you might get woken up in the middle of the night by your daddy? If there's a fire? But it might also be because there's something really cool. This is what he wanted to show me. In this case, it was a lunar eclipse. And I know my daddy loves me, and he loves me still, and he wants to share good, important, and awesome things with me. And in this case, the awesome thing is this lunar eclipse, which was, of course, I mean, who wouldn't want to get out of bed to go see that? You're cozy in bed, but that is cool. And our Heavenly Father, likewise, wants to share good, important, and awesome things with us. And the most awesome thing is to be in right relationship with him, the God who made lunar eclipses. So we have to ask again. Does God speak today? And I don't want to regale you now with missionary tales of dreams and visions of God making himself known in miraculous ways, speaking to his people and calling them by name. Though I by no means doubt that that does happen, and I, I've seen it happen. I fully believe God is able to speak to us still, and he does. Whether it would be from a sunrise in some beauty, beautiful scene in nature, or from a cloud of fire. I would offer to you, though, that he has spoken and is speaking to you. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 tells us, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So if you find you commune best with God here in nature, or at a rock concert, don't stop there. Because the God who made rock concerts and made nature is far more beautiful and far more awesome. That beauty that you get to experience in your life is meant to turn you to the God who made beauty. And so if you wonder, does God still speak? The answer is yes, he does. And it is through his son who is revealed to us in the Bible by the Spirit. If you want to hear from God, but do not know his Son through the word of God, and you are not seeking his Son in the word of God, then you are scorning his primary means of communication to you. God speaks us today in at least three ways. Primarily, I said, in his word, through his people also, and by his Spirit. Now, here, I want you to remember Shuffy as he's facing off with those police officers who want to take his money. He told them, God has told us to care for the poor, and I do not need man's permission to do what God has told me is right. Shuffy, at this point, as far as I know, was not a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, He at this point can't even read, so he hasn't read this in the Bible. But he has sat daily and heard my father uh, speak from the Bible in their daily devotions at at the office. And he's also heard my dad uh, read the scriptures. And I know he also spoke then under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that was protecting our mission and protecting our, our people in Pakistan. And so it was by those means that this poor, unschooled man from the hills of Pakistan could confidently say what God had told him. He had heard that God cares for the poor in his word from his people and by the prompting of the Spirit. Let me ask you today, what word have you heard from God? And are you ready to respond? We've covered the most important part of the story, that God speaks. He is there, and he is not silent. He spoke to Samuel, and he still speaks to us today. My second point is the choice to respond. And this is a choice we face, and you face. Two things I want to note about Samuel's response from verse 10 is that he's available and ordinary. First, Samuel is serving in the temple. But then you might say, well, of course he's serving in the temple. He was dedicated to the temple. Where else would he be? And I would say, well, he actually could have been just about anywhere because it's the evening, it's evening time, and when it's evening time, what do we do? It's usually our time off, so um, Eli's dismissed him. Uh, In the evening, I go and seek a little entertainment, kick my feet up, watch some Netflix, Read a book, get in bed, take it easy. On worse nights, you might find me scrolling my phone until my eyes droop and I have to plug it in and drop off. My point here about Samuel is that he's available. He's put himself in a place to be available. He's ready for a call. And so I ask, if you desire to hear from God, are you available? Have you silenced your life at any point? Is there any silence in your life? Where would you hear a still small voice? Are there things also that you've already told God no to? You wouldn't even hear him if he offered. Ministries perhaps he's calling you into that you're not even willing to consider. Friends he's asking you to witness to that you've already written off. Something you need to forgive your spouse for, but you still want to hold on to. Or orders. He's calling you to accept, and you want to run the other way. Or maybe, perhaps, even to EAS and leave your job, leave the military, and follow his call to some foreign land far away. The question really is if you heard your name in the night, would you jump up and run to see who needed you? And I think most of us would answer honestly yes. If someone called me in the night, I would jump up and run because some, somebody needs me. And I guess. This just highlights to me Samuel's ordinariness in that he's simply doing what most people do when you call their name. He comes to see what's needed. And this isn't to diminish Samuel, but to encourage you today, if you hear God calling you by his spirit, in his word, by his people, respond. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. We're spoken to in order to speak. My third point is that your message is not just for you. And that's why God calls us partially into community, that we would have words from God for each other. Why Samuel in this case? Why anyone? And why do we need to respond? Can't God accomplish what he's going to do without me? Well, yes, he can. And he will. But it's his delight to draw us in, to participate with him in his work. We, like Samuel, are spoken to in order to speak. God gives Samuel a message. And the message is not for Samuel, it's for Eli. And this is both a commentary on Eli and a fulfillment of how God is going to replace Eli with Samuel. And here is another aspect of Samuel's ordinariness. If we look in verse 15, we see that Samuel, weighed down by the judgment against the house of Eli, he's afraid. He says, it says, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. This is a very ordinary response. He doesn't just come tromping in to wake up, Eli. Guess what, Eli? I've got a message from God for you. Judgment. He's afraid. And how often are we afraid, just like Samuel, to tell others what the Lord has told us about the cost of their sin? How often are we afraid to open our mouths and confess our own sins to each other? God speaks to us through his word in his people and by his spirit so that we will speak do you need to confess? Then do so. and Do so in community, in a fight club, in a missional community. Here with someone in our church. We want to speak words of life to you, and we want you to do the same to us. Confessing sin and pronouncing the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ to each other is part of fulfilling God's command in his word to speak to each other. Has God spoken to you that you might share? Matthew 28, 18 through 20 tells us, where Christ commissions his disciples, amongst whom now we count ourselves, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. His gospel is not meant to be hid like a light under a basket. It's meant to be shown out. So share. Witness with your words to who he is and what he's done. At work, at play, on the playground, at school, men, speak these words to your families. Parents, preach this gospel to your children. Women, preach this word to each other and encourage each other. And children, you too, preach this word. Particularly for the men of the church, if you want to learn more about how to speak the gospel, and how to present it, our next men's breakfast will be on 18th June. Mark your calendar, 7 to 9 AM, right next door here. It's completely focused on building fluency in how we testify to what God has said and done in any and all circumstances. So men, I want to see you there. This afternoon is another opportunity. If you think God is calling you to step out into leadership in this church, next door, next, it's like 1245 upstairs, next door, uh, John will be teaching the MC class. If you've been ministered to an NMC and you recognize that you have more to give and God is calling you into leadership there, you need to be there to learn about stepping forward into that call. We are spoken to in order to speak. And I want to conclude now by taking us through the gospel, the words of God by which we have life as I see it here in this passage. Really a little bit before. So we'll start in chapter 2. So Samuel's mother opens us with this beautiful song where she tells us about creation. And this is a song in response to the Lord giving her Samuel, in spite of her barrenness, and it articulates the whole thrust of the story of First and Second Samuel, that God is opposed to the proud, but he exalts the humble. In it, Hannah describes God as her creator. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. This is our God. It's the God of Samuel. It's the God of Hannah. It's the creator God. And it's a God who, in holiness, will judge the earth which he made. It is a God who speaks to us and desires to be in relationship with us, his creatures. Chapter 3, our passage, shows us the fall. One of the most important and compassionate acts of God is to show us by his word our sin and our need of him. In his message to Samuel, God explains clearly that Eli's son's sins will cause their death. In fact, in chapter 2, the author says, the Lord wished to put the sons of Eli to death for their abuse of the women of the tabernacle and for their abuse of their position of power. It might seem stark to us to see that God would demand death for sin, but that's the same refrain throughout all of scripture. This stems from the very character of God, who in his holiness demands a response to sin. Romans 6 23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death. We, for our own sin, are under the same judgment God spoke through Samuel to Eli. We also deserve death, just as assuredly as Hophni and Phinehas did. But God. We have no need to respond in the same fatalistic way as Eli responded in verse 18, when he simply answers, it is the Lord. Let him do what he wills. The judgment was harsh, but the reality of sin is harsh. But God, for though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A hope in the future Redeemer, a coming Messiah, should have characterized Eli's response as assuredly as it did Samuel's, and now fulfilled as we look back to what Christ accomplished, characterizes ours. He is our sure hope. The author tells us that in conclusion, with the establishment now of Samuel as a prophet of God, that the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is why Eli knew to look forward. The name Shiloh was itself a messianic prophecy, from Genesis 49.10, pointing forward to Christ. And Eli's work at the tabernacle at Shiloh was, again, all meant to point forward to a future redeemer. And hearing the pronouncement of God in judgment for his sins, he needed to turn in repentance, not fatalism. Jesus' disciples said much the same thing when Jesus was talking to them about how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And now those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But Jesus answered, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Jesus himself was that, the fulfillment of Shiloh. He accomplished at the cross the impossible. He, the gentle and lowly king who had ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey, was spat on, cursed, and then killed by his own people, bore in in his death the penalty for our sins. He was the fulfillment of Shiloh. He was the fulfillment of all the sacrifice that went before. And he is our sure hope today of redemption. Today, we often feel like we live in 1 Samuel 3. The night of our lives is dark, and the word of the Lord might feel rare in our lives. As we see the wickedness in the world and the sin in our own hearts, We wonder, does God speak? Is he there, and is he speaking to me? But now, as then, we can lie down in peace in the tabernacle of the Lord like Samuel, for the lamp of the Lord has not gone out. Though Jesus died, he was raised again, and he is today the light of the world. John 1 tells us, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it." I have the opportunity now to present to you a family that is answering this call, the call that God has put on their life to go and to speak. These are some dear friends, Peter and Mary, and their kids, Eden and Gilead, uh, in honor of their request for some pretty sensible discretion in a world of ubiquitous technological surveillance. Uh, we're not gonna talk about their last name or the country they're going to on this live broadcast. Um, so, just know them as Peter and Mary, and if you know them from before, first, does anyone know Peter and Mary? Remember them. They used to be part of our, our team here at church, I'm glad to see they're still remembered. Uh, they were on their leadership team here, and now they're in Norfolk, where he's serving uh, just a few more months in the Navy, and then they're gonna be following God's call uh, that he has put on their lives. They've responded, and they're going forth to speak his good news. And I want want you to hear in their words how God has spoken to them.
3: Hi, Pillar. We're Mary and Peter. Uh, We probably don't don't know most of y'all. It's been uh, about two years now since we left Pillar Okinawa. Um, But Ethan had asked us just to kind of share briefly about um, what it looked like in our lives uh, when God called us to something and how we responded to that. Uh, And so I think for me, um, probably the first, one of the, the big times that I felt God just kind of leading me in a direction, uh, it was after college, uh, I was in Haiti with a friend, um, doing some relief work in a tent city in Port-au-Prince after the earthquake. And I just remember looking out over all of the, um, yeah, just kind of the poverty there and feeling very overwhelmed by everything that, had, that was going on there and feeling very little, very small, and very insufficient, um, it just came to this realization that like I could I could spend my whole life working here and, and maybe be able to help a couple of people well um, and in that moment I felt the spirit just kind of remind me of this scene from the Lord of the Rings uh, In the two towers at the end of it there uh, you know some of the heroes are kind of trapped in this castle um, that's surrounded um, and they're about to be kind of wiped out. Um, and the king is very despairing and he looks at Aragorn, one of the main characters, and just says, What can man do against such reckless hate? Um, and Aragorn just replies, Ride out with me. Uh, and I felt the spirit kind of saying that to my, my despairing heart that, um, you know, in, in the midst of my realizing how insufficient I am, um, the Lord in his grace was inviting me just to step out in faith against, um, against poverty. Uh, and to ride out with him and, and to see him work in that. Um, and kind of a verse the Lord put on my heart to, to echo that is Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good works that he planned for us long ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is in slugs and bugs, um, and I think uh, over the over the years of trying to trying to kind of step into that invitation with the Lord, um, he has just been overwhelmingly faithful despite my constant, it seems, unfaithfulness to him.
4: Yeah, I would just echo what Peter said um, that this is a gift that not anyone would boast. Um, for me personally, the desire to become a global worker uh, started in childhood. Um, and so, you know, we, we've tried to make decisions that honor God towards that path. Um, but I would say overall, it's been an epic fail on our part. Um, it's really a gift of God's grace that we're here, our own sin and spiritual warfare and living in a broken world. Um, and me personally having a broken body have made it impossible. Um, we've really needed the Lord to open doors that were shut and to work um, in miraculous ways to get us here. Um, but I think through this season of darkness, um, that the life is often dark and confusing, but he's been growing our dependence on him and wanting us to know him better. Uh, Psalm 48:14 says, He is our God forever and ever, and he will guide us until we die. Um, this reminds me of the pillar of cloud during the day and the pillar of fire at night that would guide the Israelites through the wilderness. Um... And I want to hint, I want think he has been teaching us um, to rely on him in dependence and to know him well enough to follow him in dark places. And even when we fail um, and kind of veer off on our own path with our own visions, um, he's faithful to accomplish his purposes in us and in the world. Um, and that's kind of the encouragement that has been to us in the last few years, uh, that he uses all things. Um, and he's able to work it out for his glory. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so it feels like a great privilege to be here at this point, sharing with you guys and to have the opportunity. Um, We loved our time at Pillar, and we're just thankful to have this.
2: We as a church uh, plan to incorporate support for Peter and Mary into the 2023 budget starting in January. But you have an opportunity now to partner with them both in prayer and financial support. And I want to emphasize this point of prayer. Uh, I grew up as a missionary kid in Pakistan, and I can tell you from personal experience that Peter and Mary and their kids are going to a dark corner of the world. And there there are very few believers there, and there is very much opposition to what they are going to do and work for. And the prayer support, the commitment to lift them up, one, fulfills the command of God in his word, to pray. And so I encourage you to commit to pray for them, to get to know them, get connected with them, and pray for them faithfully. God will win his church. And God will see it through. And he is delighted to have Peter and Mary answering his call to join him in that. And he was delighted that you would partner with them and pray for them. I invite you to join them in that prayer in giving or in going. There's no reason any one of you might not follow the same call to take the gospel somewhere it has not yet gone. You can connect with them by uh, providing your information in the iPad in the back, putting Peter and Mary in the other tab, and they will reach out to you. They want to keep that communication pretty just uh, one to one uh, to reduce, again, skylining themselves. Um, Or you can just grab uh, any one of the staff here and we'll be happy to connect you. If you hear his call, will you say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears? Thank you. Ron's now going to take us into a time of communion.